0: Justified, satisfied, oh I have it all So I rest my case at the cross Don't feel sorry for me When you see I'm in need There's a judge who grants mercy in love All my burdens He lifts. All my sin He forgives. Every trial is won through the blood. So I rest my case at the cross. For now I have someone to champion my cause. I've been justified, satisfied, oh I have it all So I rest my case at the cross I've been justified, satisfied, oh I have it all
1: Appreciate That wonderful song this evening the cross kind of been the theme through our music tonight and thank God for the cross without it. We don't have salvation right. Really, we have nothing to look forward to we have no hope without the cross and although uh, it costs the Lord tremendously It's a wonderful gift to us. Is it not? I feel like everyone's asleep tonight. I feel like I'm asleep tonight No, nobody everyone's good. All right, good We were uh yesterday. My sister got married and uh, she's uh, been looking forward to it for a long time. She was 43, and uh, the Lord finally brought that one along. And uh, she was excited for a beautiful wedding, but didn't get back until about 1 o'clock this morning. And so I feel like I'm running half speed right now. And my voice, I don't know with this weather, is definitely uh, going crazy, the cold, the hot, the cold, the hot, and uh, doing something funny in my voice, so I'll try to keep it under control tonight. If you would, turn with me to First Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I believe a very familiar passage of scripture for us all, and um, wow, the room is really unbalanced tonight, that throws me off, everybody's on the right hand side, barely anybody's on the left, Yeah, yeah, it has nothing to do with your spiritual condition, at least I don't think it does, maybe that's in the Bible somewhere, I doubt it though, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, i you We'll know, read some scripture here, again, a, a very familiar passage to us, and want to look at it a little bit, and I just have two principles from this passage for us this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number, one, verse number 1, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For as there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase." So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, for God that giveth, for God, but God, I'm sorry, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Right now, uh, the NBA conference, uh, you know, the playoffs are going on right now in the NBA. I'm not a huge NBA fan, but I follow them a little bit during this time of the year. And, uh, and I believe that the semifinals will begin this year. I think the game is still going on right now to determine who will play the Cavs. Is that right or is it over? It's over. <laughs> Who's playing the Cavs? Toronto. Toronto. All right, so Toronto, Miami, and Toronto. Uh, we're going head-to-head to see who would play against the Cavs in the, in the semifinals. That will begin, I believe, this week. Basketball. It's a team sport, although it, uh, though you, by looking at it you may not be always able to tell, it is a team sport, and uh, it's easy to, to look at basketball and get caught up in tattoos and drugs and everything else they do. <laughs> you look at the sport and you see it's just a mess, but the illustration still remains the same, and where I'm really going with this is that it takes teamwork to win. Is in the end, is what wins the game is the teamwork. Right. There can be great players on each individual team, but that's not going to cut it. And especially when you come down to this time of the season where the pressure is high and the talent is the best, it's not going to be one person that will win the game. It's going to take the whole team. Really, even though, well the greatest athletes of all time. They are considered the greatest for the most part because of the championships that they've won. They're not considered the greatest because of their individual talents necessarily, but because of the championships they won. There's the argument of MJ versus LeBron. Who's the greatest? And in the end, you can go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, but who's got the more rings? In the end, that what people will fall back on He is the greatest because of the championships that he's won because of the team that he was surrounded with. Similarly, in the church today, it takes teamwork. Not any one individual will be the cause of great victory. It takes the collective group. And although there may be people who shine in the end when the going gets tough, the victory will come because the tough get going, not because one person gets going. But because the church as a whole decides we're going to move forward and we're going to accomplish something for Christ. He said, what does that have to do with what we read? <laughs> the point of what I'm making here is it takes teamwork to make the dream work. We've heard it before. But a team doesn't take place without coaching. A team has to be coached. Things have to be pointed out to them And they have to be given instruction In order to become great And really what's taking place In the section of scripture we just read Is a bit of coaching from Paul To the church of Corinth He's giving them a couple tidbits Some coaching tips About how they can become a stronger church About how they can become more effective In the world in which they lived He wanted them to be better he wanted them to be greater, and he wanted them to work together as a team. And so tonight we're going to look at some coaching tips from the Apostle Paul and, uh, and see what the Lord has for us to learn from this. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I am not capable. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. I need you to help me. Lord, you've given me some thoughts here from your word and I ask Lord that I would be able to deliver these thoughts to your people this evening. Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear, that we would listen to what you have for us individually and make application in our lives. In Jesus name I ask it. Amen. The first coaching tip and I've only got two is this. The church of Corinth needed to recognize their faulty perspective. Look with me again, if you would, in chapter 3 and verse number 1. It says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Paul says here, I have fed you with milk. I fed you with milk. Paul's referring to his first trip to Corinth. Paul, uh, Paul is going back to another time, another conversation that he had with them. He said, at another point in our, our uh, interaction in the past, I fed you before. And when I fed you, I fed you with milk. The milk which Paul is referring to is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And look there if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse number 1. And it says there, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was, you, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much, much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The first time that Paul went to the church of Corinth... They were new Christians. They were babies in Christ. Contrary to what we often understand, uh, Paul is not talking here in chapter 3 to babies as in they have just gotten saved. It's been years now. For what I can see, maybe five or six years since he started this ministry in Corinth. And so he's not just speaking to babes as though they've just gotten saved. He's speaking to them uh, because they haven't grown. Uh, Now follow along with me. He said, the first time I came to you, I gave you milk. And the milk that we see this, that we see here is this. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said, the first time I came to you, I wanted to introduce to you the power of the gospel and how you could use the gospel to affect the world that you lived in. He said everything about... Now remember, he, the, the church there, they were saved already. Then he was feeding the milk. And the milk he was feeding them was... For them to understand the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. This is important. We've got to follow along. More than anything, Paul wanted the church of Corinth to understand that it is the gospel that changes lives. And that's the first lesson he taught to them. So he gave them milk. Is there any better place to start with a Christian? A new believer? No. It's where we even start today, is it not? The same place that Paul started? Amen. Teaching them to understand the importance of the gospel and the role it plays in your life. How important it is for us to understand the power that is in the gospel and how we need to utilize the gospel. So he continues on. I fed you with milk because you were babes in Christ. Now this babes in Christ is not a derogatory thing. They were babes in Christ's. Every Christian has to start somewhere. From there they grow. And Paul was very gracious. And if you read chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul is very kind to these people. Why? Because he understood who they were, that they were babes. But when we get to chapter 3, it's a different point in history. He's speaking to them as though they are babes, but they've been saved for years. Now, I've preached from this passage many times And I've heard it just the same as you do And I believe that it's true That the people of Corinth Weren't able to sink their teeth Into a big juicy steak of doctrine That they never got past the point of milk It was always milk for them And even years after they were saved It was just milk But pastor preached from this not too long ago and I was went back and was studying, my, studying through his notes and what he taught and I was meditating on it and I began to look at it and although it's I'm sure not anything new to many of you and you've heard it before, it, it occurred to me that this babes in Christ and the feeding of milk versus meat isn't necessarily so much to indicate that they were not sinking their teeth into deep doctrine that they were not growing to the point of Deep theological debates, but rather that they were simply not comprehending the milk that he had given to them first. Right. The The principle is still the same. Follow If you are, I, I hope you're following here. The principle is still the same. They needed to grow. Right. 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 They needed to grow. But rather than this simply being some instruction in a very general way, your babes in Christ and you're, you, you've been given and are on milk for a long time, and you need to be on meat, rather than being such a a broad instruction, he's actually addressing a specific issue in this. He's saying, when I first came to you, I gave you milk, that you should understand the power of the gospel. I preached unto you Christ crucified, and him only, because I wanted you to understand how important and what a vital role the gospel would play in your life. But now, here we are five years later, and you're not getting it. You're hearing it, but you're not comprehending it. Amen. I have a small issue with him saying that they didn't understand doctrine because if you go through the rest of this book, Paul dumps on them a, the biggest boatload of doctrine you will see in any book of the Bible. He will. He'll dump on them separation, the Lord's Supper. I mean, he's going to go through a whole boatload of doctrine. For us to say that the church of Corinth wasn't capable to understand doctrine is not really true. They could understand doctrine, but what they did not understand was the power of the gospel and how it would change people's lives. And we look here and we see these people here, the church of Corinth. He says, I've fed you with milk and not with meat. I've tried to teach you that the gospel is the most important thing. He says, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it. He said, since I taught it to you, you just haven't caught it. You haven't caught the importance of the gospel. It's been years. And it wasn't that they hadn't grown doctrinally. It was that they still have not grasped the importance of the gospel. But then he ta- changes his... He changes his tense, he goes from the past tense, hitherto are ye not able, to verse number two, neither yet now are ye able, same has been all this time, and in all this time you haven't caught it, and even right now still you don't get it even still now after all these years and after all the teaching that you've heard and we'll see from Apollos and from Paul uh, after everything that you've been instructed in and after everything that you've been taught you're still obeyed because you have not grasped the milk that I tried to give you the importance of the gospel and although it may appear that Paul is switching gears uh, when we see where he starts to talk about division among you there's envy and strife. Kind of happens there right in the middle. He said, he, he's talking about milk and meat. And then all of a sudden, well, let's look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse number 3, he says, For you're yet carnal. For whereas there's among you envying and strife and division, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith Paul and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? It seems as though Paul kind of switched gears. He went from milk and meat, you're not getting it, to now, here's Paul and Apollos. But really what Paul is doing is he's emphasizing that the milk wasn't grasped by saying, here's the proof, here's the evidence that you haven't got the importance of the gospel, that you haven't learned from the milk. Here it is right here. You're fighting over Paul and Apollos. You're fighting over who your favorite teacher is, who your favorite preacher is. You still don't understand the importance of the gospel. All you're focused on is the figurehead. The one that's standing before you, the person who's there to preach to you. You're placing more importance on the people who will teach you these great doctrines than you are on the gospel of your salvation. There's a principle here for all of us to learn. If you boiled this milk down, what Paul is trying to teach them. I believe he's saying in a way, knowledge is valuable, but obedience is far more important. Saying, I've tried to give you the milk, but you're so focused on learning from your favorite teacher that you're missing what you're supposed to be doing. Completely missing it. How often do we warm a pew feeling as though we're bolstering our Christianity, as though we're growing in our faith, as though we're being taught some great principle from the pulpit of Community Baptist Temple. And we sit here and we say, how did I not see it? Or this is so encouraging or that's so convicting. And we sit under the gospel day in, week in and week out, service in, service out. And and we sit here and we feel as though we're growing in our relationship with God, when in fact we are probably more like the church of Corinth than we'd like to admit in that we are still not able to comprehend the milk that is trying to be given to us the importance of the gospel the power that it plays in our lives it is for this reason that we can have a church of 225 people and 40 will come out soul winning it's milk i understand there's physical conditions for some that will hinder them for some there's jobs I understand that there are some legitimate things that will hinder you from being a part of an organized, soul-winning ministry. And there are some in this room, a couple, that will take time and go, even though their schedule doesn't allow for them to be here during an organized time. But the truth of the matter, really, for the most part, is this. We don't understand the importance of the gospel. And we are more like the babes of Corinth than we would like to admit. We must recognize that our attitudes and actions are greater indications of our spirituality than our ability to memorize scripture, study the Bible, and talk about deep theological subjects. The thing that caught my eye when I looked in this passage was a comparison that Paul made. He said, and I, brethren, just listen... Could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I first recognized a principle here, what I'm what I'm sharing with his, you this evening, because he didn't make a comparison between a baby and an adult. He made a comparison between a baby and somebody who's spiritual. You see the difference. A lot of times we acqu- equate our spirituality with our age. How long we've been at something. I've heard many older Christians say, I've been doing this for years. I've been at this for years. As as though that's some kind of indicator of where we are in our Christianity. Far too often, we're not where we should be. Amen. And this is an indictment, not that I'm bringing down upon you, but what the Lord brought down upon me. Because no matter your position, no matter your knowledge, no matter your ability to put together a message and stand before a group of people and deliver it, it doesn't matter. It is nothing. And for me to stand before you and to preach a message, there are many unsaved people that could do this. People who could care less about God in eternity that could do this. What's important is that we spiritually grow. And what Paul is indicating here would be spiritual growth is that we grasp the milk, the importance of the gospel the role that it plays in and through us. Rather than growing spiritually, the church of Corinth was stuck in their fleshly quarrels. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. But he said, I've been trying to teach you from the very get-go. I was trying to show you the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. It is not by accident that pastor stands up here regularly and preaches about our need for being soul winners not because he's trying to build the church on the backs of the people in the pew but because he understands the power of the gospel how it is the the milk that will transition us from the infant in Christ to the spiritual adult that we should be and the fact is that As I've said already, there's far too many, far too many infants in churches across America today who simply don't understand the power of the gospel. So, Paul begins to instruct them. He brings them down, he's trying to get them to see their faulty perspective. Their perspective is that we're learning and we're growing under our favorite preacher. But he's saying, yeah, you need to get back to the milk. You're looking at the wrong thing. And this is a coaching tip because many times we need somebody to look at us from a different angle in order for us to see our faults. I took a few lessons in golf. That didn't really help me. But I took a few lessons in golf when I was in college. And I'd sit there and the coach would throw down a basket of balls, and he said, get your seven iron, and I'd get there with my seven iron, and I'd hit a ball, and he'd say, okay, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, and do this. So i changed. change. I knew a lot of the principles of what he was saying. I felt like I was doing what he was telling me to do, what, what I was supposed to be doing. But when he stood on the other side of me and looked at me and my golf swing, he said, this doesn't look like anything like golf. He said, you're doing it all wrong. You're all messed up. And sometimes in order to be coached, we need somebody to look at us from a different perspective, somebody on the outside to look in and say, uh, we need to adjust. We need to correct. We need to modify. We need to do this differently. In church, tonight you can say and I can say as much as I'd like to be able to say anyway, that I'm growing in God because of knowledge that's increasing. But that's not necessarily so true. Because at times I don't even completely comprehend how important the gospel is. At times I squelch its power. I keep it subdued. I don't utilize it. And Paul goes on to instruct and coach the church of Corinth. And he's saying, hey, you're not utilizing the power of the gospel because you've allowed the devil to come in between you and cause division. In verse number three, he says, For yet are for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Again, he comes back to them and uses their carnality, uses their flesh uh, as a as a tool of leverage to help them understand that they are allowing division in the church. It's funny, as Paul is coaching the church of Corinth through these problems that they're having, through their lack of spiritual growth, he points to division as being the culprit. Envying and strife. He says this is a sin that can destroy a church. Really, really ultimately, is what he's saying, is this thing, this division, this envy and strife will destroy a congregation, it will destroy the effectiveness, the effectiveness of a ministry. But we, we would view immorality... As a great sin that would destroy a church, we would avoid. We would view adultery as a great sin that would destroy a church. But do we really note that envying and strife are great sins that will destroy a church? And Paul <laughs> places a a giant emphasis on this today on, the, on it uh, to the church of Corinth. He tells them it it is your it is your division that is causing you to that is really the stumbling block that is causing you from being able to grow. It's the division that's keeping you from moving forward. Really, ultimately, what he would tell to them if you moved on and, and read, in other passages you could read even in Colossians, in Colossians, he would instruct them how it's so important that Christ has the preeminence that don't worry about these these divisive things. Don't worry about who your favorite preacher is or teacher is, is what he would say to the church of Corinth. But the point remains for us today that division and envying and strife, strife inside the church will destroy a church. And they are great sins, although we may not view them as such. Paul explains to us in Titus chapter 3, if you would turn over there with me in Titus chapter 3, verse 9, how to deal with divisions. Titus chapter 3 and verse 9, he says, But avoid foolish foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and striving strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he is. Such is subverted and sinneth, being content, condemned of himself. He's saying, hey, if, if there's some people in your church that have some foolish questions, that they're just always questioning leadership, there's no doctrine behind it, or there's no uh, true biblical base, they just have foolish questions, or, or they're questioning genealogies, they're, they're, they're causing contentions and strivings about what's technically right or technically wrong, again, there's no substance to them. These are just people causing division. He's saying they are unprofitable and vain. Saying that if there's such a person in your congregation, that they're a heretic after the, the, the first and second admonition, uh, reject. He said if you've some divisions among you, you need to reject the division. Reject is to break fellowship. It's to, to cut the ties that bind. We have far too much division within our churches today. We may not view it as such. But there's a lot of division. There's not a lot of us being all on the same page. The things that are emphasized in Scripture as being important is not a unilateral thing amongst all the Christians in this, in this church or most churches. We tolerate a lot of division, far too much. And you know what it causes in a church? Not necessarily a split, not necessarily firing of staff or the, the firing of good pastor pastors. You know what it happens in the church when we allow division and too much of it to creep in? The effectiveness of its soul winning. Yes, it the effectiveness of its reaching out with the gospel. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, you've allowed the division of who you like most to hinder you from the gospel. And, and I think there's a lot of that in here today, in our churches today. Because of, in all honesty... We were to poll the crowd, even the crowd that's here tonight, the choir, if you will. We could all place emphasis on different things and why we weren't or didn't or don't share the gospel. And a lot of times it would just be our reasoning rather than scripture, rather than truth. It would just be what we think about the topic. And it causes division. It causes us to be ineffective, not as effective as we could be. Church, we can't tolerate division amongst ourselves. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we don't get along. I'm not saying that we can't have good fellowship. But soul winning? You start talking about that, and it makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> Try having a conversation about it. People don't like to talk about it. People like to find reasons why they don't need to go. Yeah. Does it bother us? Let me pause for a moment here for my message. You may not agree with what I'm saying. What I believe the Bible is teaching us. Let's get down to some nitty-gritty. Right here, our church, our church body, let's not... um, A lot of times I use generalities, and I say in churches today and across our nation, let's just deal with this body that's here right now. Let's look at the importance of the gospel to us now. The division that we might have in our congregation. Anytime that I'm given the opportunity to preach while our pastor's away, you'll hear me talk about things that pastor finds important. You know why? Because I want to be another voice. I believe what pastor's teaching, what the Word of God teaches, pastor's giving to us. But I want to be another voice reiterating it because I want to try... In any way possible, possible to bring unity to a church, and I'm not, again. I'm not saying that there's a giant rift down the middle of Community Baptist Temple. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is there's some people on the outskirts. Maybe some of those people aren't even here tonight to hear this message. But we need to get on the same page. We need to not allow division to to cause us to be ineffective in the the world in which we live today, and. Hey, face the facts. The, the people that need to hear this aren't always going to be here during a service. You know what that means? That we as believers need to reach out and encourage and exhort these other believers, these other Christians that aren't here to hear a message like this. And we need to say, hey, why don't you come out? Why don't you be a part? Let's get on the same page. Let's be on the same team. Let's get out there and win some souls. Let's make a priority of the gospel. Let's get past just being uh, a milk drinkers and let's get onto some meat here. Let's find priority in what the gospel is and let's find the power of what the gospel is and let's utilize it as a church to make an impact and a change in the world in which we live. We have great opportunity. We have a a, a pastor that... Through, the, through wisdom and the guidance of the Holy Spirit is taking us down a path where we'll be able to be in a new property soon with relatively a small amount of debt to what we have, and we'll have great opportunity to get our ministry in one place and to reach our city like we've never had opportunity before. But I'll tell you right now, that church building up there, it will fall flat on its face unless we as the congregation, unless we as the church, unless we as the people of Community Baptist Temple get on the same Page and say, Yes, 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 yes. We're going to get past some milk here. We're going to get onto some meat. We're going to see the importance and we're going to reach out with the power of the gospel and we're going to see lives changed. Not because we listen to our preacher and he gives us all of this phenomenal preaching, not because we're so deep in our theological studies or our devotions. No, none of it matters it, as far as the, the scheme of what we're talking about tonight. What matters is that we understand the power of the gospel. And you will have a hard time convincing me that we believe the power of the gospel and how it changes lives, but that we lock it up. Apparently, Paul was concerned about the church of Corinth that there were too many in the nursery when more should be in the infantry? There were too many in the nursery when more should be in the... What does the infantry do? They get out and they march. Here we go. Got the gospel. We're taking it. We're taking it. We're taking it. What are we doing with the gospel? We're soldiers. What are we doing with the gospel? We're fighting. What are we fighting with? The gospel. Here we go. Fight, 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 and here goes the soldiers marching along With the power of the gospel. Truth of the matter is, there's 225 people that sit in our auditoriums generally on a Sunday morning. Most of those people should be here on a Saturday morning. Or on a Tuesday. Or as the schedule allows. Again, I'm not preaching that you have to... Let's get past the milk Uh, What I'm trying to say is that we need to be soul winners. We need to be going. We need to be doing. We need to be speaking the gospel. God chose the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise. And it's not the preaching that confounds the wise inside of the auditorium necessarily as we're teaching uh, these truths. It's the preaching of the gospel that just blows the minds of the secularist. 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 Sadly, many will take a message like this and not be willing to put themselves in the position of the babe. Again, because we view ourselves more mature in our spirituality because of our understanding of certain concepts. but yet we don't grasp this milk topic. And folks, I know that I yell a lot when I preach, and that may turn you off. At least you're not sleeping on me. I know I get excited. And I foam at the mouth. I'm doing it right now. And there may be something in the way that I present a thought that you just don't like. not paul i'm not apollos but i want you to grasp what's being taught maturity and spirituality are built upon our understanding of the power of the gospel and we get nowhere without it we cannot mature the spiritual state we should be in when after 10 years of salvation 20 years of salvation 30 years of salvation we've still refused to open our mouths and share the gospel and on the rare occasion that God drops the fish on our laps with its mouth open starving to death we might share the gospel but we will never go out with a hook into a pond of fish that don't want anything to do with food and try to catch one. So Paul's trying to coach the congregation. He's trying to help them become better and he does it from a different viewpoint. He, he tries to illustrate to them how they're babies. And they're just not growing up. Not because they don't understand, but because they don't comprehend what the milk topic was about. So he tries to coach them through it. Change their perspective. We need to do some changing of our perspective of where we actually are spiritually. And we need to do it based upon the coaching that Paul was given to the church of Corinth. The second coaching tip that he gives to Corinth is remember your role in God's work. Now it may sound like the first thing, but it's different. In 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, go back to there if you would, I think most of you are in Titus. uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse number 5, he then opens it up and he says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers... "...by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building." He reminds the church again, first trying to teach them to understand that they need to get past that milk. They need to understand the power of the gospel, that that's where true spiritual growth will come from. But then he goes and he starts to correct them in this idea of their preacher worship, if you will. And the way that Paul does this is not by necessarily getting at them and saying, you you morons, why are you worshiping a man? You know what he does? He steps up to the plate and he says, I am nobody. Nobody. A lot of times we correct people by telling them you're making the mistake. Paul gets up and he tries to correct them by helping them to understand. Oh, really, ultimately, what he does is cuts himself and Apollos down to size. He says, "I want you to change. I want you to change, and I want you to understand uh, what our roles are. What our roles are in God." Paul says, "Who is Apollos?" Who is Paul? Why are you talking about these two men? They are nobody. They are nothing. I believe that we tonight would do well to take this tip from Paul and remember our role in God's work. Yes, amen. Who are we? We are nobodies. Far too often we want to be somebodies and because we want to be somebodies it, keep, it keeps us from fulfilling our roles in the work of God. Paul asks a question. Who is Paul and who is Apollos? They're rhetorical questions. Not obviously looking for an answer. This is a book. <laughs> a letter he wrote to them. Some instruction. A rhetorical question. And I believe if the Church of Corinth answered honestly, they would have to say that my leader is everything to me. Because they were going after Paul and they were going after Apollos. That was it. That was that. That was all to them. My leader is everything to me, or my leader is my teacher, my counselor, my guide, uh, my my confidence. That's the one I take pride in. I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. And and Paul he he cuts himself and, and Apollos down to size, and he says, you can have this perspective or you can have this view of our role in God's work, but you're wrong. And he goes on to illustrate by using gardening terms. He helps us to understand that neither Paul or Apollos, neither of them are gardeners. Picture, if you will, a garden. And that's what Paul does. He uses gardening terms here, so it makes sense. Picture a garden. and He says, hey, uh, there's a lot of things that need to be done in the garden. There's things that need to be planted and things that will grow, but a gardener needs to take control of that garden in order for it to be successful. And what Paul does is he says, who is Paul and who is Apollos? He says, we are not gardeners. It's like I'm a shovel and Apollos is a rake. You know, the thing is that when, when we have a garden, do we make a big deal about the tools in our garden? Do, I mean, you say, oh man, what kind, of, what kind of hoe are you using to keep the weeds out of this thing? No, that's not what happens. We want to know who the gardener is and who's got the green thumb. Who's the one that's making this thing grow? What's the cause of fruit? And Paul is saying, I am not a gardener. Apollos is not a gardener. We're simply tools. And you know what? We're the same thing you are. We're tools. And we expect too much that the person that's sitting behind the, or standing behind the pulpit or standing on the platform or leading the ministry is our Sunday school teacher or uh, the person who may be heading up our soul winning, or is our Sunday school director, or the people that are in positions of leadership that look at them and what they're doing and how what my how the Lord is blessing this church because of what is going on in our leadership and what a great leadership team we have. But Paul says it's dumb because none of us are gardeners. There's only one gardener and it's God. He says, You're you're not you're nothing. I'm a rake. Nate's a spade <laughs> But we all are simply tools We all have the same responsibility And the same ability We all should be accomplishing just as much And in the end We should just be willing to let the gardener Pick us up and use us wherever he sees fit In the garden And We all have our place and every tool will have its position where to be utilized best, but we take our shelve, we take ourselves off of the the tool rack in the gardener's house. Say, "Lord, I don't think that I can do this part in your garden." And Paul wants to remind the Church of Corinth. There's no big shots. There's no heroes. There's no person or position that should be adored like a God. There's no one to be worshipped. There are no masters to blindly follow. We are simply servants of God. And if it were not for His grace in our lives to be allowed to be used as tools, we would be nothing. We would be nothing. The church, the congregation. We need to understand that. As a church tonight, if we're going to be coached, really ultimately, if I had to title this anything, I would say coached to victory. Because Paul wants ultimately the gospel to be spread through the church of Corinth and he says, hey, here's a couple coaching tips, some things I want you to change. Change your perspective. Don't worry about, you're so focused on the meat thing, I just want you to grasp the milk thing before you grow anywhere. Understand the power and the importance of the gospel. And I want you to understand your role, the, the part you play, the part that I play. First Corinthians chapter three, verse nine. A couple of verses down, it says, "For we are laborers together with God." Paul points out to them, "Not even do." Did you just notice that? "For we are laborers together with God." For we are laborers together with God. What's the gardener without his tools? What is he? He's just a man. Right? I understand. Don't, I'm not preaching heresy here, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I understand who God is. But what would God be without Christians who would go today? Yeah, that's right. What would God? What, what? Where would the? Where would the fulfilling of the challenge that Jesus Christ left us with when He ascended to heaven and said, "I'm leaving you with the Holy Spirit that you can continue my work"? Where would the church be today without those people? Where would the gardener be today without the tools? And Paul says, I want you all to understand that we are partnered with God and there's not one individual in this church who is more important to him as far as being a tool than another. There's no position that makes somebody a greater tool than the next. We are all simply tools and we need to allow him to use us. We are partnered together with the gardener to see some fruit brought forth. And again, it is not our responsibility as the tool to make sure the fruit comes through the ground. That's the gardener's job. He's the one with the green thumb. We're simply the tools and so we must go and allow ourselves to be used. For we are laborers together with God. Working together is how we will accomplish great work. This last spring program we had saw a lot of things accomplished. Didn't we? A lot of doors knocked. lot of souls saved but it was a collective effort ultimately by a very small group percentage of this church and it just goes to show on such a small scale what some people who understand their role in God's work can accomplish but how much greater would that scale be if we all understood our roles in God's work Back at the turn of the century, there was a plague of locusts in the, the Great Plains of the United States. In a matter of a few days, a swarm of locusts swept over Nebraska, Iowa, and Kansas. In less than a week, they did over $500 million worth of damage. And that was, at that time, It'd be billions and billions of dollars today. There's a funny thing about locusts. Despite the cartoon ants where there's a leader for the locust swarm there is no leader in a swarm of locusts there's no head there's no head honcho a swarm of locusts can cause so much damage because instinctively in who they are they want to swarm together and they understand they are safer together from predators such as birds and stuff they have a better chance of survival than one locust flying out on its own And so they swarm together. And because they swarm together in such a great cluster, they have giant impact on the agriculture wherever they swarm. Imagine if Christians today swarmed like locusts upon the city of Akron. Imagine if our church would just swarm together upon our city. The change that we could bring about. Martin Luther or not Martin Luther, D. L. Moody, the world is yet to see what God could do through one man who was totally, fully surrendered to him. One man, yet alone a church of men and women. A group of people who understood what their role in God's work was. What we could accomplish. But as quickly as I'll end this message, the coaching tips that Paul gave to Corinth and the instruction that we're receiving tonight. We'll meet with Cannon Fodder from what's the score of the Cavs game? Who won? What's this? Where are we going to eat? What's on the menu? I'm tired. Did a show record tonight? What are we doing tomorrow? What's the weather? Here's an issue. This is the problem. I got work tomorrow. And once again, we'll assemble on Wednesday night and hear a message from God's word and we'll know that we should do something with it. We'll feel the pangs of conviction and be inspired, because we could do so much if we would all just get together and make it happen. For some in this room, this message will go absolutely nowhere make no change or have an impact. For some, the impact will last a week, maybe to next soul winning time. We'll be encouraged to make it happen. We've get, we'll sit down with our spouses and, honey, we just got to do. I got to do something so inspired i got to do something about this the lord spoke to me tonight i got to do something within a month from now or maybe it'll last all winter and then the cold months will come and we'll be back to ground zero we need to invoke a change individually in our lives We need to bring about a change in our community that won't come unless we start changing ourselves. Unless we take some coaching tips from the Apostle Paul. Change your faulty perspective. All of the good talk and where you think you are because of the years you've been saved means nothing if you don't understand the power of the gospel and are not willing to do something with it. Secondly, We need to make sure that we remember our role in God's work. That we are nobodies. We simply need to be surrendered. We have training to try to equip and encourage people to come out. Soul winning. And we want you to feel confident in going. But. Just because you don't feel confident in going. Is really ultimately not an excuse for not going. Not. Not going out and saying, hey, at least come to my church. I I really don't know. I know I got saved and here's my testimony about how it happened to me. I mean, at least all believers have that going for them. Could you not use your testimony to witness? Okay, so you can't march through Romans Road, A, B, C, D, 3, follow me, whatever. But you can share what happened to you, how you've been redeemed and how you've been saved. You can invite and you can get them in the church house. And yes, somebody who uh, may be more confident in actually pointing to a scripture verse and showing them from the word of God can instruct them and help them. But we all have a role to play and we just need to get doing it. Enough with the, I need the time off or this is my only day, this is my only family time or conveniently, even to some degree, there, there is a, 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 a group of people in every church, and I'm not saying just to uh, just as not point fingers to this church, it's in every church across America who will even change their work schedules to make sure that they can't make it to soul winning times. I've met people like that who will not take their day off on a Saturday because they know that means that they should be soul winning. But The truth is we all have these ways and of getting out, of doing, doing our role. The cough. <laughs> Sick today. I don't think I'll be able to make it. And that's just our flesh. It's the devil keeping us from being what we could be for Christ. Change your faulty perspective. Remember your role in God's work. It'll make a team out of us. A team that could accomplish great things and see great victories. And, it's, and again, it's not about the individual rings of the people in this room. It's about the championships. It's about the victories we'll see won as a group collectively. The teamwork is what's going to make it happen. Let's bow in prayer. Follow, Lord,